You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Mining is a long-term game. You know, from discovery to production is maybe 20 years, and then you get into production for, in many cases, many decades. So it's a long-term game. Politics is a short-term game. And if you're trying to build a mining company or mining business in a country, you just have to have your eye on the long term. Thank you for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm Bill Powers, your host, and speaking with me today is mining entrepreneur Ross Beatty. Ross, I really appreciate you coming on the show again and taking time out of your busy day. I'd like to get your thoughts on what's going on in South America in terms of some governments seemingly moving less, uh, moving to the left, which might mean uh, more strict regulations for mining companies and higher taxations. I've seen some equities in Peru sell off, uh, development or exploration stocks sell off in fear. Also, the copper price seems to be moving up as a result of it. Let's start with uh, Chile, that company in particular. What is your analysis of what's going on here politically and what are the implications for mining investors and the copper price? Boy, I mean, I could go on for a long time. Uh, Today, I don't know, the world's kind of going crazy simultaneously. It's going crazy on multiple different levels and and subjects. Uh, But in terms of the resource industry, it's not just Latin America. It's it's everywhere. It's you know governments are demanding more, uh, and they're trying to gore the bull. Uh, but the problem is when the bull dies, there's nothing left. If if or if they to kill the goose lays the golden egg, there's, there's nothing left. And that's that's the big problem with governments because they don't kind of think long term and they don't understand that investment is needed to uh, to to build a long term successful economy in this business. And we can move capital all over the world. It's a very it's a very uh, kind of a liquid uh, uh, capital market, companies can go wherever they're wanted and they don't go where they're not wanted. So whether it's Kyrgyzstan right now that's nationalizing uh, Sentara or, or or Zambia that's increasing you know royalty rates, or quite frankly, Alaska that shut down the, the Pebble uh, project, a humongous copper gold project, uh, shut it down. And, and this is a global phenomenon. That's the first point. Second point is, uh, I've been in this game a long time, and I've I've seen you know resource nationalism wax and wane. I've also seen a lot of political change over the years, so that you might have a real economic nationalist uh, left wing, you know, hard hardcore rhetoric when they're getting elected. But when they're actually in power, they change completely, and they actually understand they've got to encourage mining investment, or they have no power because. The president, for example, might be elected with a hard left agenda, but the Congress in a country that they're in is is more liberal and, and doesn't like the changes that they're proposing. So nothing happens. And I've seen that in, you know, for example, in Peru, uh, I've been there for 20, 27 years and I've seen uh, pretty much consistent pro-mining policies that have generated a massive, massive uh, mining industry, uh, not just foreign capital, but a lot of domestic capital as well. Same thing in Chile. Actually, many uh, successful in, uh, jurisdictions also in, in, in Argentina and many, many places in Latin America, Mexico. I could just reel them all off. Uh, so but but today, you know, mining is a very tough game and you've got increased social pressure for uh, environmental uh, cleanup, environmental uh, projects. You've got a lot of social license issues. You have uh, more people demanding more things in more places. And when people keep demanding and then they do things like block roads, 
uh, or elect really radical governments, that shuts down mining. It just shuts it down. And, and the result of that is less supply. The result of that is higher prices. So it's a very tough game right now. Just because there's a government, though, uh, that is, or pardon me, a, a person who is you know, hard left, or even a government that's hard left, anti-mining, let's say, that doesn't necessarily mean things are going to change. One of the things that's happening today, of course, is that everybody has access to information instantaneously. So you can have, you know, you can have, you can learn whatever you want about every single political change in Latin America at, in real time. You never used to be able to do that. So this, this deluge of information that people get, uh, I often say people are losing the forest for the trees. They're in the weeds too much and they're forgetting the, the sort of 40,000 foot view down on things. But if they take that view, they, they're not going to get so excited uh, it, and they're not going to make these sort of knee-jerk investment reactions that really on, on the basis of things that may not change too much. So you asked about Chile. Here we have uh, the Chilean Congress, which has been elected, and it seems to be very radical. They're going to propose, they're proposing to increase taxes dramatically, royalties especially, and that's going to basically wipe out the mining industry in terms of new growth. It's going to kill the profitability, and people in the mining industry are not going to invest in Chile anymore. They're going to go to Argentina, or they're going to go to Ecuador, or they're going to go to some other place where the, there's just much more profitability and much more stability. So... Uh, so, so that's the danger, and and it it could happen. It has happened. It happened in British Columbia back in 1972 when we elected a socialist government, and they jacked up royalty rates exactly like they're doing in in Chile right now. The result was BC went from a a, a darling to a pariah. Nobody invested here, and it took 30 years before the industry really got going again. 30 years. So you know these these can have long term damage. They can may have long term damage, but. Generally speaking, they don't actually happen as badly as the media might threaten them or, 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 or you know, radical politicians might, might make this, these crazy uh, statements that they get picked up, people listen to them. Generally speaking, they don't happen as badly. And I'll give you an example. In, in, uh, in Peru right now, there's, there's an election on June 6th. Uh, you're going to have a, a, it's a battle between the left and the right. There's a right-wing Kiko Fujimori who has who is representing a, a conservative pro-business agenda, and there's a radical guy who's come out of nowhere, and he's proposing a radical agenda that would basically destroy the mining industry, not just uh, the foreign industry but also the domestic industry. And so you've got that sort of Armageddon scenario. My there was a guy named Humala about I don't know 15 years ago who became president of uh, of of Peru. And he was the same kind of radical. He made all kinds of crazy statements when he was being elected. He got elected. And guess what? Nothing changed. He was a conservative, uh, pro-mining, pro-business guy, as it turned out. And, and, and his, his, his term as, as president was, was very successful for, for the mining industry. So who knows what happens? You need a whole confluence of things to, to happen to actually affect real change. But I'm telling you, if, if the guy, uh, if, if the, if the left-wing guy gets elected on June 6th, it's definitely not going to be a happy story because there's going to be just battle and conflict and strife and, and a lot of rumors and worries. And that's never good for investment. Uncertainty is never good for investment. So, you know, we can only hope that, uh, that the, we can, as a big producer of gold and silver, I think, I think uh, my Pan American Silver is the largest gold producer in, in uh, Peru right now. You know, it's, it's not something we're uh, we're relishing the idea of a, of a left-wing uh, president, but uh, 
if it happens, it happens. It's, it's not our issue. It's the people of Peru's issue. So bottom line, um, you may have a threat of change. It probably won't happen. In fact, if it does happen, in fact, it'll be negative in that country, but people will go elsewhere. Um, you know, you've got some very positive agendas, like in Ecuador, for example, the, the government there is very pro-mining. It might not have happened. There was a, a candidate, you know, three or four months ago who, who, uh, who, you know, who, who came out of nowhere again and, and was very, very hostile to mining. But he, but he ended up uh, just as a sort of a, he, he was, uh, he, he didn't even get 15% of the vote. So, you know, uh, much ado about nothing in, in some cases. In other cases, you've already got to take it seriously. How's Ross. that for a, a simple answer to a simple question? Very, very thorough, Ross. And and you talked on by you touched on cyclicality there when you mentioned you can kill the mining industry for thirty years. It takes thirty years to jump back. You went into Ecuador when Ecuador was out of favor with investors because you saw the geological potential, and so you developed projects. Uh, and then now the situation is more favorable. Can you talk to the average speculator that's listening to us about the cyclicality of how these jurisdictions can go from favorable to mining to unfavorable back to favorable and hitting that coinciding with the commodity bull market in this case gold silver copper that we're talking about sure i I think that the bottom line there is that mining is a long-term game you know from discovery to production is maybe 20 years and then you get into production for in many cases many decades so it's a long-term game politics is a short-term game and if you're trying to build a mining company or mining business in a country, you just have to have your eye on the long term. And everywhere you get these cyclicality, you get this real these cycles of political uh, change. You have, you know, uh, let's just say a, a left leaning government for a while. Then there's a right leaning government for a while. And that begets change. They all they all change around. And typically the, the, the cycles are much shorter than sort of mining cycles. So, um I don't actually do too much, you know, navel gazing in terms of where to go, um, because I've found that, you know, mineral projects last a lot longer than governments. And, you know, you can't be too clever about trying to predict the future. There's only one guy who really knows what's going on in the future, and that definitely is not me. So you have to have a strategy, I think, of holding your nose if things are not so good and hoping they'll change. But in the meantime, keeping on exploring, keeping on developing, because it's a long-term game. And, you know, to some degree, uh, you've got to be diversified. So that if change happens in one place, you know, it's maybe going to be better in one and maybe not as good in another. But if you're in diversified locations, you're not going to be hurt too badly. So diversifications work well with me. I'll come back to Peru as an example. You know, we went into Peru in, in 1995. Uh, Peru had just come out of, of 10 years of you know, triple-digit inflation, tremendous political strife, uh, terrorism was just everywhere. You couldn't get power was 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 failing all the time. I mean, it, the country was just a mess. It was a failed country. All of a sudden, a new government came in. A guy, a guy named Alberto Fujimori. He sort of took a big broom to everything, cleaned it up, got investment running again, and literally, it's been going now for 50 years. Success, sorry, 30 years successfully. So. Uh, if you had made your investment decision then on what had happened in the last 10 years, you never would have invested. But if you realize that, yes, change was happening and it needed to happen, you know, it's been a, it's been a home run for many companies, including including mine. So uh, you, you just can't be too too clever and, and analyze things too closely. You've got to think long term and get out of the noise and look at the big picture. 
Dore Copper Mining is a premier, near-term, high-grade copper and gold redevelopment opportunity with tremendous exploration potential only 14 kilometers from the town of Shibugamu in mine-friendly Quebec. Dore Copper is debt-free and owns a 2,700-ton-per-day mill with an 8-million-ton tailings facility ready to be used. There is already power to site and it is accessible by paved highway and rail. Dore Copper aims to produce a profitable hub-and-spoke operation of over 100,000 gold equivalent ounces per year or over 60 million pounds of copper equivalent by 2024. Because of the existing infrastructure and location, a low capex is anticipated to recommence production. Dore Copper trades under DCMC in Toronto and under DRCMF on the OTC. To learn more, go to DoreCopper.com. That's DoreCopper.com. Ross, if I'm a short-term thinker, as in two to three years, I'm invested in an exploration company in uh, Chile or Peru, which I am, I'm looking at the situation and asking myself what to do. Could I be successful investing in an explorer or an early stage developer, even if the major miners are having problem with the higher taxes and more regulations at the, at the higher level? Oh, for sure, Bill. I mean, my goodness, the juniors, the, the early stage explorers, they're, they're so far from worrying about politics because they're not going to be in production for maybe one or two or three decades. The whole game of the junior is discovery. Discovery takes years, but that's the real. I mean, there's two big wealth creation phases in this business. The first is the discovery phase where you, you actually make something from nothing. You drill a few holes. If you're lucky, you know, you get something that might cost you a few hundred thousand dollars to drill holes, but it's worth, you know, it's worth hundreds of millions, maybe, maybe, maybe billions. So that's a big wealth creation phase. And, and it doesn't matter what the politics are. If you make a big discovery, it's going to be valuable. Somebody will want to buy it and build that, that deposit someday, someday. So that's the first phase. And, and then, you know, at the end of that sort of phase, you hopefully are going to liquidate uh, your investments. So you're going to have lots of capital gains and, and you're going to go off and do something else. So that's the first phase. Second phase, of course, is when a company, uh, a mining company buys the project and actually builds a mine. And that takes a long, long time. And when it gets going, there's another phase of wealth creation, which is when uh, when that mine is generating profits. And if if the mine generates profits inside an environment where there's a good political regime, good taxation regime, favorable prices, you know, that mining company is going to make a ton of money and investors are going to be well rewarded. So those are the two phases. But they're they're so far apart that a, an explorer right now, uh, it, the last thing that investors should care about is the political environment of the regime they're working in because they change. So then the fact that I noticed a silver Peruvian explorer developer sell off recently, that's just short-term fickleness of investors? Crazy. Okay, because in the long term, it'll work out. But do you think that if things go- And and, and by the way, by the same token, it's just as crazy for investors to buy or sell these explorers based on uh, day-to-day change in the gold price or the silver price. That's just as crazy. There's no way that the gold price of today has anything to do with the value of that deposit the day it starts being mined, which is in 20 years or, or 15 years. It, it, it's crazy, but that's the world we live in. We live in a bit of a crazy world. So Ross, you bring up a great point because myself, I get impatient and a lot of the mining speculators that listen to this podcast get impatient because they they email me a month after my last interview with a company and say, what's the next update? And I said, I don't have an update because I'm not running the company, but they told us the next catalysts are three, six, 18 months out. So what more would you like to tell mining speculators that are impatient about the need to be patient and have a little more long mindset to be successful? 
Well, the first thing is, I don't know why any of them are asking you what's going on. I mean, everything companies are doing right now is so transparent. And so, I mean, public companies, you know, every single thing, time they have a material event, they've got to make a news release and talk about it. And so, you know, they're going to tell you at the same time as they're going to tell your subscribers or your 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 uh, your listeners what's what's going on. Uh, you, you know, so why they would ask you is, is, a, is a mystery when they can just open up their, their computers and look at it on the on the. Uh, the information-based website of the company, um, and and for sure uh, they have to look at the quality of the deposit. That's the most important. The quality of the project that that company is looking at, and secondly, of course, the management of the company. Management is super critical because even if a project fails, a good strong management team can find another good one and, and and salvage the company. Weak management won't. So you know those are the two most important things I think about uh, looking at a, a junior. This is looking at the asset and looking at the management team. One of the key companies in the Lumina Group is Luminex, which is in Ecuador. Uh, within that company, you have uh, really quality uh, gold uh, projects and copper targets, but you also have JV'd some of those projects, and you have two key partners, Anglo American and um, uh, BHP, I believe, and they're they're spending up to US one hundred million. So my question is, when you have quality projects that you've identified, you do, you've developed to some degree, how do you make the the decision of when you JV? V1 and when you fully advance a project? Because you've advanced one to 17 plus million ounces yourself without a JV partner. Right, right. It's very much uh, dependent on sort of what you see as the budget for the project, uh, the risk environment for the project, whether there's a major willing to take it on as a joint venture, that's important. And, and just how valuable it'll be to you and your investors in the sort of cycle that you, you, you follow, maybe say a three or four year cycle. So, for example, Lumina Gold has one asset, and it's a deposit that we acquired back in 2014 or 15. As a, I mean, it was a, I think we spent two or three million dollars acquiring it, but we had, we we saw great potential there. And sure enough, over the last six years, we've drilled it heavily. We've done a ton of economic studies. It's 17 million ounces, and it's a, it's now ready to be sold. So we're actually hoping, as soon as COVID is over, we're hoping we're going to uh, bring in some some other companies there and have a look at it and 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 find one that'll take it on and buy it at a at a crazy premium and uh, and then develop it itself. It's a fantastic deposit. That's Lumina Gold. It's got one advanced asset ready to harvest that wealth creation phase that I talked about earlier. Luminex is a different story because it's a much earlier stage pro, uh, company, but Luminex was blessed with a whole plethora of projects in Ecuador. It went crazy when you were able to stake and acquire land. And so uh, it got, you know, it got a dozen prospects in the country. And the ones that were the higher budget projects, copper especially, copper, copper, gold, we wanted to find a major company to take them on who could carry them through this, not just expensive phase of exploration, but also ultimately development. And don't forget, you know, exploration is a high risk business. So the more eggs you can have in the more baskets, the more likely you are to make a big discovery. You can't finance all those projects yourself or else you'll go back. I mean, probably, you know, you'll have to continually be a, a dilute your dilute your investor base again and again and again. So I like to use other people's money in the sense of other companies' money in, in that in that sense. But a couple of these gold projects, like gold is a lot easier for a junior to to develop, a lot cheaper, a lot, a lot more value add, I think, than say a huge copper deposit. Uh, there are exceptions, but but by and large gold is easier to develop. So we kept a couple of the gold projects, 100%. And that's what we've been focusing our money on in Luminex. 
drilling those projects and trying to develop gold deposits on them. Uh, Illuminex itself has, you know, has five or six great projects, both the ones you talked about that are joint ventured and ones it, ones it owns 100%. Um, so, you know, that again is an example of sort of a diversified approach. I don't know which one of those is going to pop up and become a, a, a terrific project. I mean, I'll know in a year or two probably, but I don't know today. But I'm going to guess that we'll get at least one or maybe two really good projects, whether they're base hits, doubles, triples, or home runs, who knows? But, you know, the wealth creation process is this high-risk exploration game that we're in the middle of right now with, with quality projects. You ultimately, if you keep working, keep your head down, usually you have success. So, you know, a year from now, Bill, I wouldn't be surprised to see Luminex trading for two or three times what it's trading at right now, assuming some success. You mentioned COVID and how that can hinder M&A. Do you think we're still about a year away before the whole COVID uh, hindrance to mergers and acquisitions is behind us? Yeah, it, it probably uh, less than a year, but but it's it's really hard to put a pin in that because uh, COVID is still sweeping through Latin America. It's not a, it's not over yet. It seems to be over in the U.S. It's nice to see that Canada's sort of hit a. We had a pretty pretty bad phase in in April, but it looks like May's May's looking better. So, you know, India is tough right now, Europe's back. So it, it, in the developing countries in, in Latin America, Africa, uh, some parts of Asia, COVID is still pretty serious. So I wouldn't predict uh, as long as a year, but I, I would say late this year, early next year would be my guess. Ross, a few years ago at a mining conference, I met with a company that was exploring for diamonds. And then about two weeks ago or something, I saw a press release. They're now exploring for gold and they put out some nice results. I bring that up to say, when I see that as a mining speculator, not trained in geology or from the industry, I'm always a little skeptical when there's a commodity shift in focus. But at the same time, I understand you can't raise money for something nobody's interested in, or maybe you come across a better project. How would you look at that thing at first glance? I wouldn't worry about it. I think if uh, if management's shifting direction, they're doing it for a reason. Usually it means the project that they had in the first place was a dog and they're walking away from it. Uh, it's hard to do that, actually, as, as management. It's hard to do that even as investors to walk away from dogs. But uh, at the end of the day, mines are few and far between. Great discoveries are rare. And a lot of people spend way too much money, you know, on deposits, uh, sorry, on, on properties that they should literally walk away from because at the end of the day, there's nothing there that will be economic. There's maybe smoke and sniffs here and there, but, you know, so so shifting, shifting gears like that, I don't have a problem with. Where I have a problem is companies, you know, raising money, telling investors they're going to spend it on this and then taking that money and doing something else with it. I really don't like that because uh, it, it just get, loses faith in, in, in everything they say they're, they're going to do. And I, I certainly uh, don't think that's a clever idea. And Ross, as we kind of wrap it up here, I want to honor your time. Uh, two uh, investments that you have in Orca, Orca Gold and Osino Resources. After our last interview last summer, someone messaged me, said, could you please ask Ross about Orca Gold and the potential he sees there? So could you please share a little about these two investments? Yeah, sure. And I'll put it in some context. Uh, I'm basically not an investor. I'm a, I'm a developer. My big developments, of course, were, you know, I've had 15 companies that I've founded in my career and they've all done pretty well. Uh, my current ones, Pan American Silver, you know, that's that's evolved from nothing into a very big company. And I actually retired from Pan American last week as, as chair. I'm I'm done now after 27 years. I that's For me, that's I'm still sort of, you know, 
it's, it's still hard for me to kind of grasp a company that I, I was so involved with. It, it's, it's now being 100% run by other people. But, you know, I'm not gone completely. I'm, I'm still very active in the renewable energy business through Interjex uh, Renewable Energy, which is a big Montreal-based company that I've, I'm, I'm one of the biggest shareholders of and a director of, and I merged my own clean energy company into. And my big play right now in the gold space is Equinox Gold. I'm very active in that. We're trying to build Equinox into a humongous uh, gold producer. So we'll have, you know, incredible leverage to gold. I think gold's in a, a good time in the cycle right now. I'm very bullish and have been for the last four years. So we're building this company to be a world leader in the, in the gold production business. And it's it's a ton of fun and, and we've done a pretty good job so far. So we're, we're you know, that's that's a fun thing to be working on. And then you mentioned Lumina and Lum, Lumina Gold and Luminex. I'm, I'm, I'm more involved in the management of that, the development of that, than being an investor. So those are my, that's sort of my main world. Uh, and then a ton of philanthropy. Um, but I have invested as well uh, over the last 15 years or 14 years. I have invested. I've invested in a bunch of things, and most of them have worked out pretty well. I always look for things that are well-run, that have good projects, and uh, it doesn't really matter where they are. I always look for good management and, and good projects. So uh, so you mentioned a couple. I mean, I just exited one, GT Gold, that, that you know, it was run by a crackerjack geologist and 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 great management team board and had a really good property. So it was a it was kind of, that was a, a pretty successful deal. Osino is run by an incredible guy, uh, Hayadon. Uh, he's doing this uh, big gold project in Namibia. He's taken something from nothing. He's got this big resource on it. He just announced some results today that were terrific. So that's for me, that's, I don't, I don't sell these shares. I, I keep them for the happy ending that, that will come eventually when, the expiration phase is finished and somebody buys the, the whole company. And that's going to happen with Osino. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a year from now or two years from now, but I just hold every share. I've never, I never sell any of these companies, typically on the way up. Once I take a big position, I just sit and hold because they're good companies, well-run, good projects. And you can say the same about Orca Gold. Rick Clark, I've known Rick for 35 years. He's a great guy, smart guy, very savvy to the market. Lundin is, is very active with him in that. Uh, Lucas Lundin, who's a, who's a dear friend of mine. I've actually been to see Orca's project in Sudan. I've walked the ground. It's a nice deposit. And the, the country is a bit of a, has a bit of a, a reputation. But so far, the, co- the com- country has behaved very well to, to Rick and, and Orca Gold. So it's the same thing. I think somebody's going to buy Orca uh, in the next year or so. I might be wrong, but my, my bet would be that way. And, uh, and again, if, if you're an investor in that, Pretend you don't own it. You'll wake up one morning with a happy ending. Excellent. Well, you mentioned you're stepping away from Pan American Silver. So how many hours a week are you working still, though, on your Not other that projects? Many. You'd be surprised. Really? I actually have a, big, uh, I have a big garden and I keep bees and chickens and stuff like that on my little island here near Vancouver. And uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still in the game to some degree, but I'm not running anything. I've got, you know, just fabulous management teams that work, uh, work on these companies for the benefit of the shareholders. Excellent. I interviewed Rick Rule recently and in his retirement, he told me he was working 13 hours a day going over financial statements so far in his first few weeks of retirement. <laughs> Rick, Rick, Rick is one of those, you know, ever ready bunnies. He just never stops going. I, I, he, that guy has the most unbelievable work ethic and he's, he's got to be one of the smartest people I've ever known. But, uh, you know, for me, there's a lot of other things about life that, 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 
complicate my day and uh and work is just one of those and you provided him one of his biggest winners he said also in my last interview with uh, uh early investment in pan-american silver with a full warrant he said and he held on to that one and made a lot of money off of it <laughs> pan-american was a was a, a for sure one of those home runs it was a big home run yeah well, Ross, really appreciate your insights. You're a statement, uh, statesman in the industry. So thank you for speaking to what's going on in the mining sector and giving advice to us mining investors. For what it's worth, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. And don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.